Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. I invite you to open your Bibles, or uh, of course you can read along there in your uh, bulletin, Luke 11:53, continuing into the next chapter of 12, uh, verse 12. So, have you ever wondered, and, and surely you have, of you know why or how could people not like Jesus? You know. I mean, like, what's it not to like about love and forgiveness? Like, what's it not to like about the gospel message? Uh, how could someone reject such a great salvation? Well, this morning, and really over the last few weeks, especially with what Josh preached last week, we're starting to see why. Why is that possible? Um, up until this point, uh, though the religious leaders, that they've been, as they've engaged with Jesus, they, though they've been skeptical, they've... They've seemed to be genuinely curious about what Jesus has to say, what he's teaching. Um, but something happened to make these curious skeptics enraged. You know, something happened that made the Pharisees, and it makes people today say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. He, he's backwards. Jesus seems to be bigoted. He leaves no room for my truth, my way, or my love. All right, so what happened? Well, in short... As we're going to see, uh, Jesus yucked their young, didn't he? Uh, Jesus toppled their idols. Uh, Jesus revealed the little man behind the curtain pulling all the levers in their little system, and, and their establishment was threatened. And they didn't like that. And so from this point on, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, he, he's going from being kind of tolerated to now he's starting to be public enemy number one, especially amongst the religious leaders. From this point on, the Pharisees, they go from being curious to now, as we're going to see in our passage, they're starting to actually seek ways to get rid of Jesus. And from this point on, Jesus is ministering with a target on his back. And so you're going to notice there's an increase in intensity and in intentionality to his teaching. It's, it's almost like it's a, before I go, here's some things you need to know before I go. But... There's also a, a, another thing that's happening here in our passage. Um, Y'all may remember how last year one of the biggest concerts of the year was uh, Travis Scott's music festival that he threw in Houston, Texas called Astro World. Um, and if you, you read anything about, some of y'all may have gone, I'm not, not judging you if you did, but um, if you read about what happened there, it was this whole huge crowd who had been you know, locked down with pan the pandemic regulations and uh, they were turned loose. And Travis Scott was the, the biggest rapper, one of the biggest music acts of the year. And so um, the, the mob was so frenzied, um, so I, I guess this mob mentality took over. And the people, as they were starting to rush the, rush the stage to see the, the rapper, uh, they started just trampling over people. They'd run people over. Uh, people got trampled. Several people died. Many, many more got injured in, in that, the outcome of this. Well, what we're starting to see, and we're about to read in our passage, that that is what's starting to happen with Jesus. That we're starting to see that the call to follow Jesus, really just even to kind of be around him at this time, is not rainbows and butterflies and Thomas Kincaid paintings. Like, it is just not. But it is a dangerous call. That we're going to start seeing from this point forward that the call to follow Jesus 
is really is to go against the flow of our culture, against the establishment of this fallen world. It's a dangerous call to take up our cross and to follow Jesus into the arena, into the fight. But just like any fight in junior high or high school always draws a crowd, you know, arena matches especially draw a crowd. And so many of the people from this point on surrounding Jesus are are really there to kind of take up their box of popcorn and kind of watch instead of taking up the dangerous call of discipleship. And so with the increase in danger, there also comes an increase in what we would call posers. And Jesus knows this. And, And so as things are about to start getting crazy in his ministry, this morning he turns to his disciples first and then through his word to us this morning to remind us of some things about what it means to follow him. So with that, let's look at God's word, Luke eleven fifty three. And as Jesus went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Well, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you to whom to fear, whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. While even the hairs of your head are all numbered, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you shall say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is God's good and errant word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word comes to us this morning uh, and it is inspired. uh, Lord, that uh, this this is you speaking to us through your spirit. Um, so, Father, we ask that you would cause us to receive it. Um, and, Lord, we live in a world that's not unlike that of Jesus' time, and, and we need your help. Uh, so would you come, Holy Spirit? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so in, the, in our passage, Jesus calls his followers, really just one huge point, to a, a life of courageous sincerity. Um, courageous sincerity Courageous because, well, because of the fall, you know, we do life in the middle of a battlefield, don't we? 
uh, a battlefield strong with landmines and tripwires everywhere, and it's, it's pretty easy to be scared. You know, when it seems like all around us are choosing the other way, it's also very easy to wonder if the Jesus way is even worth it. It's kind of hard. Um, he calls us this because our natural fallen way is not to be courageous, but to be comfortable, right? The, the path of least resistance. It, it's not really to be sincere, but it's kind of just like get along to get along, right? <laughs> to go whichever way the wind of culture and virtue signaling and fear of man kind of seem to take us. We're just, we just want to survive. And so knowing this, in his call to, cor- to courageous sincerity, I mean, Jesus isn't just going to be like, look, y'all better stop being so scared. And y'all better start being sincere. But he looks at us in love with some really practical teaching on how not to lose heart, how not to check out, but, but rather how to follow him as we walk through this minefield of life. And he begins by teaching us about the first landmine that we need to be aware of, and it is a doozy, um, the landmine called hypocrisy. So verse 1 Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Famous verse, right? Um, So there's this infection that dairy cows can get called bovine mastitis. At least that's how we say it in Alabama, mastitis. And it's it's, it's a common thing cows get, no big deal. Usually if it's treated with a round of of penicillin, it's usually not a big deal at all. However, when said cow is treated for 96 hours, that one cow's milk has to be isolated you know, off to itself and then thrown away. Because even though you're only treating that one cow, and in most cases, you know, cows have four milk-producing quarters, right? Um, often it's just one quarter that you're actually treating. Um, even though that's the case, if, just, if that cow's milk gets in with the hundreds of other cow's milk in the large milk tank, then just that little bit of penicillin renders all that milk ruined. Um, okay, well, uh, well, several years ago, one of my dad's workers uh, failed to isolate one, one of these cows that was being treated, uh, which then forced my dad, uh, I was talking to my dad about that this week, and he said that years ago there, there weren't tests to pick up penicillin, and so he probably just would just send it on. But now there's like tests that are super sensitive and uh, so he knew the only thing he could do was you dump the milk because if, that, if, if his milk were to get in the larger tanker you know, of, filled with milk, then not only would my dad be on the hook for his milk, but also all those farmers' milks. And so he dumped an entire tank. And I just remember walking into the dairy barn and all this milk going down the drain. And my dad is, well, he's sad, but also this is possibly the most frustrated I've ever seen my dad. Okay, well, that's what Jesus is saying about hypocrisy. And anytime hypocrisy is in any culture or anywhere, this is what it produces. Uh, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, just as a little bit of penicillin, affects an entire tanker of milk doing untold damage. So, so, does, so does hypocrisy in friendships uh, in the church. And so Jesus is talking about what he said a few weeks ago, remember from 1139, Now, you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside, what's really going on deep down, you're full of greed and wickedness, and, you know, what's on the outside doesn't match what's on the inside. You know, you guys act one way out in public, but behind closed doors, 
it's a different story. You're wearing masks. You're, you're acting. You're playing the part. And so Jesus continues by giving us this reality. Check verse 2. He says, nothing is covered up that's not going to be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark, it's, it's going to be heard in the light at some point. Whatever is whispered in private rooms, well, there's coming a day when it is going to be proclaimed on the housetops. So a few things here. Um, anytime something is projected as reality, but underneath it's really not reality, it's just for show, that hypocrisy spreads through life and, and eats at our moral fiber like a cancer. And, and we're going to get to the Pharisees and the gospel in just a bit, but really this is an overarching principle for like all of life, right? I mean, the gospel frees us up from having to hide and to mask our shame, and to be like one way for one person and another way for somebody else, like the gospel frees you up just to be you because you are forgiven and loved in Christ, okay? But just think in, in what ways might the influencers of today be giving us a false picture that sets up our life, uh, it sets us up for failure as opposed to flourishing. So talk, talk about hypocrisy. So uh, in the YouTube world, there's this uh, subgenre called bushcraft slash survival shelter building videos. I don't know if y'all have seen any of these things, um, but th they usually all start the same way. It's usually like one or two guys, and they have this stick, and they just start digging. They, they find a place, they start digging, and they dig and dig and dig and dig, and like 20 minutes time lapse of the video later, They've dug this underground mansion with like a swimming pool and they've got like water slides going into the swimming pool and it's just this amazing thing. And, and so Jude watches this and he thinks, if they can do that, then I can do that, right? And so for like a year, <laughs> for like a year, all Jude wanted was a pickaxe because he was thinking, look, if they can do that with a stick, like imagine what I can do with a pickaxe. And so we got him a pickaxe, all right? All right, so... In our little bushcraft world, this was big news because that channel got in a lot of trouble because, as Jesus said, what they tried to cover up got revealed. Things came to light. That, you know, they projected that this could be done. Like These are just two really talented people that dig with sticks. And this was projected as could be done one way, but the editor slipped up, and in one quick scene, there it was for all the world to see these huge excavator tracks, right? And uh, it, it's like uh, right up there with like Millie Vanilli and Elizabeth Holmes and those fake Oakleys they try to sell you in Washington. Like there were these guys, like leading the masses and even my own son astray, okay? And, and look, we can, we can laugh, and of course they didn't do that, right? But, but really, um, girls, Really, guys, I mean, the exact same principle of hypocrisy is be, being done to you on a massive scale, like every day, right? massive scale. You know, our, our Instagram filter world is currently redefining the standard of beauty, unlike anything before. Um, and that, that this is what it means to, to arrive. This is what you need to strive for right here. And, and ladies, it is, it's leaven. Because not only is it taking you away from the path of glorifying God and enjoying him forever, but like the whole thing is Hollywood, like the whole thing is a mirage. You know, what you are told to strive for and compare yourself against is like photoshopped, edited, best angles, filters, color match. Like it's not real. Please know that. Like it is not real. It is leaven. It is penicillin in the tank. It is poison. 
And it is leading many people either towards despair or the abyss called vainglory. Okay? Um, it's hypocrisy. And Jesus says, wake up. Be aware. Okay? Because in Jesus' day, whatever the Instagram influencers are doing today... He says, that, that's what was happening back then and still happens in the church. Because back then, the, the top influencers of Jesus' day, in many ways, were the Pharisees. And it was what they thought, right? And, and they thought, well, on the surface, they look pretty good. They seem to have it going on. So I guess if we're going to be a Yahweh follower, then we need to start doing the things and repping the things that they do. And Jesus says, look, it's leaven. The whole thing, lock, stock, and barrel, it's just it's broken, because turns out, though on the outside they appeared one way, underneath, their true motive was not to give glory to God, but it was to receive glory from man. And so instead of growing the next generation of Yahweh followers, all these people were doing were raising up the next generation of glory thieves. And so their whole, whole dog and pony show, again, it was just penicillin in the tank. It was leaven. So to the gospel... In, like anything other than you are forgiven and loved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is leaven. Okay? Anything other than that is, is leading you the wrong path. It is an unrealistic and even poisonous view of what it means to be a Jesus follower. And so we are safe and sound, not by our dress, nor our beautiful prayers, nor our, even our like yearly Bible reading plans, no, like, like it is only in Christ that you are safe and sound. But then, before Jesus moves to the next landmine, he, he takes this just a, a step deeper by piercingly reminding us that not only is hypocrisy leaven, you know, not only when you lead people astray, you are poisoning the whole system, um, but God will judge the secrets of our hearts also. That God is going to bring to light one day all of like your own hypocritical motives. Which, to borrow from Alistair Begg here, invites us to ask some really hard questions. You know, questions like, the real issue like for me is, it's not like, okay, do I preach well? But why am I preaching? Like, why am I even up here? Um, the issue isn't, do you do your jobs well? But why, why do you try to do your job well? It's not that you're helpful to your neighbor or that you had so-and-so over for a meal, but like, why are you helpful? And why did you host those people? Like, what is the motive of your heart of that? You know, in what areas of life are you actually seeking to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? And in what areas is Jesus calling us here to repent of being hypocritical glory thieves? What's the motive of the heart? What's the why? Uh, because God doesn't know the why. Um, and so this is a call really to, to repentance because Jesus wants us to be aware that hypocrisy is prevalent and it is poison. Which then brings us to the second landmine that Jesus takes us by. It's the landmine of fear. Uh, and, and fear can be such a, such a bully, right? Uh, apparently there were some religious bullies in Jesus' day and they were binding people's consciences and forcing insincerity. And Jesus says, don't let fear of what man may say about you or what man may do to you silence you in regards to your relationship with me. In other words, like, don't, don't let all those yahoos that you run with uh, like, 
whatever they may think of you, don't let that force you to start hoping, seeking hope in hopeless things. Don't let that cause you to abandon your first love and, and to cause you to settle for lovers less wild. And so in the face of peer pressure and intimidation, Jesus offers us really perspective about fear. So verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. I don't know if y'all are anything like my family, but you know you're you're worried about something, and you say, well, what's the worst that could happen, right? Well, the worst that could happen is you could die, I suppose, right? Well, Jesus is saying, like, even the worst worst case scenario, right? Oh, I want to go bungee jumping. Well, you could die, I suppose, right? Um, Jesus is like, look, that ain't nothing to be worried about. Is that all they've got, is that you could die? Look at what he says. Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill you. And after that, I mean, what, they've got nothing else they can do with you at that point. But I will warn you to whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. And so this is really the cosmic logic here. This is the, the classic Christian understanding of fear. A proper fear of God frees us from an improper fear of man. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, yeah, again, what can man do to you? (laughs) Kill your bodies? No big deal. Remember that you are more than your body here, Uh, that you are made body and soul. You're an eternal soul. And so it's Hebrews 13. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, in a world that says man can do a lot to us, Right? And in junior high and elementary, we've got our, all of our kids are, are like scared to death of what their friends are going to say. Um, in that culture, Jesus calls us to fear no man, but to let the awareness of how great God is and the awareness of how weak that we are like form us into a, a godly and even a good form of, of fear. And so, but, but Jesus doesn't end here. He doesn't just say, stop being so daggum afraid and, and fear God, not man. But he graciously tells us why. He gives us this, this gospel logic. He reassures us that the fear of God is, like, that's the only fear in which you're really safe. And look, even though I and a few of us don't have many hairs for God to number anymore, um, we, we still love the promise here, Right? Verses 6 and 7 are not five sparrows sold for two pennies. He's saying, look, they're so cheap. Almost worthless. Two for a penny. If you buy four, they'll throw in one for free, right? But he's saying even that fifth, even that fifth sparrow, as cheap and essentially worthless as it is, it is not forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs on our head are all numbered. What he's saying is Jesus is saying there's nothing so small in your life that God doesn't care or nor no. And so the promise, the logic concludes with this. Jesus says, fear not. Well, why fear not? Fear not because you are of more value than many sparrows. So the gospel promise here, it so captured John Knox. There's a story, uh, the, you know, the father of Scottish Presbyterianism, that as he was being lowered into his grave, uh, one of the bystanders said, that here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of man. Like, what would it be? You ever think about what would it be like uh, to fear God such that, that you aren't afraid of, of what your other peers or what other people may think or say? Uh, that you answer to one person alone? 
It's it's the grand, liberating fear of God that sets you free. And Jesus says, if you want, like, in me, it's yours. It's yours. All right, third. The next landmine Jesus takes us by is one that's caused a lot of debate, but it's, it's what's been called the unforgivable sin, right? This is another landmine we've got to be aware of. And I know that this teaching can be scary, it can be troubling. It's troubling because at first glance, it seems like, I thought that there was no limits on God's grace. I thought his grace could take care of all of our sin, but apparently there is a sin that his grace can't forgive. So there's this kind of problem there. But it's also scary because, you know, if there is a sin that is unforgivable, well, then goodness knows we do not want to commit that sin. But let me say this. Um, This is a sin in which those who are most concerned about it need not be concerned at all. The the fact that you care at all what God says is proof in the pudding that you are not committing the sin. All right, so so, so what's Jesus talking about? Well, to better understand this, we've got to put back in the context. Remember, Jesus is telling us about the experience of his people. And the confession of faith that that brings, that authentic faith usually bubbles out in our lives, uh, on our lips. And it's so profound is the gospel of saving grace that Jesus warns, having received that, if you have no desire or are ashamed to confess Christ with our lives, with our lips, then what you have isn't saving faith. And so we all confess something with our lives, with our lips. Um, You know, believers, we hear the true and beautiful gospel message and we give thanks, right? Uh, we, we worship our Savior. We attribute his, God's works of, of salvation and his works of creation as belonging to God. That, that's our confession. But to blaspheme the Spirit is to do what the Pharisees did a few weeks ago. Uh, it's to see the good works. It's to see the good designs of God. And, you know, Instead of seeing them as true and good and beautiful, you see them and you'd be like, that is from the pit of hell itself. It's to see, it's to see God as so backwards that you want nothing to do with it. And so, in short, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to misattribute God's works and God's ways to something else. This, it's a persistent rejection of truth, right? It's a rejection of the gospel, and it's a continued setting of the mind, not just ambivalent towards the gospel, but a setting of your mind against the Spirit of God. And so that's what Jesus is warning against. And so the question becomes, then what is your life and your lips confessing? You know, do you you bless God's name, uh, or do you blaspheme God's name? And yet even here, did you notice the grace? Jesus said, some of y'all are going to say this about me but you're going to be forgiven. Some of you are going to, to blaspheme me and repent. And in Westminster, some of us, right, have done this um, and have repented, and our blasphemy has not nor will not have the final say. Um, we are forgiven. We're loved. That is good news, okay? And then finally, um, as we walk past the landmines, Jesus, in, he, he ends with one final encouragement here. He says, in this dangerous call, um, and it's very, it's dangerous, it's scary. We're surrounded by opposers on all sides uh, asking you not to go that way. Uh, But Jesus says, in the midst of this dangerous call of following him, you are not alone. You have help. Quick housekeeping here. Um, This promise about the Holy Spirit giving you words to say, 
this promise is, is not like permission for preachers or Sunday school teachers or any of us not to be prepared, to prepare to share the gospel. <laughs> Kent Hughes shared the story about one lady in his church whose father was a preacher, and she said, that my, she said, my father always found preaching easy. He never prepared once because the Lord always gave him something to say on Sunday morning. And then Kent Hughes quipped, but, but that was in church after church after church after church. She just kind of jumped around. Um, okay, this isn't permission to neglect preparation. No, this is a promise, a sweet promise that when the world bears its teeth, and when as a Christian in, in this culture, you feel like you are walking into the belly of the beast, you are not, you are not popular. Like when you find yourself under trial for your faith or when your skeptical friends or the world seek to pressure you and you find yourself in real trouble for Jesus' sake, it's in that situation Jesus says, even then don't fear. Even there I've got you. Did you catch what Gary read this morning when Peter's before the Sanhedrin? And it says, Peter, by the Spirit, stood and said this, right? He says, even there the Holy Spirit will be there with you, guiding you, teaching you what to say. And so though following Jesus, it's a dangerous, dangerous call. What we find is, is by his grace and help, even redeemed hypocrites and cowards like, like me right? and, and like, like many of us here are kept. And so we can respond by saying, like, what a savior, like, what a friend, you know. Let me pray for us. Father, through this dangerous life, um, we see every day uh, hypocrisy in our own hearts uh, where we want to cover our shame and pretend. Uh, Lord, may you come through your gospel message, rip the mask off. Uh, may we receive healing uh, in, in our wounds. Uh, but Lord, help us also to see through all the, the shenanigans that we see every day and to settle for nothing less than the 100% 100 proof gospel. Um, Lord, uh, may we not fear man. Lord, continue to give us this great, awe-inspiring fear of you. Uh, Lord, thank you that though we are great sinners, uh, our Savior is even greater. Uh, so, Lord, may we rest on him. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.